You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Human Nature. Grandfather often enjoyed telling my brother and me about how, when he was younger, he'd been such a ladies' man. It was hard for my brother and me to picture it. The grandfather we knew sat on the couch all day, sucking on chocolates with his dentures out and cursing the TV. Who could picture him on a date? Our mother didn't like him telling old girlfriend stories, saying that most of them only served to objectify women and feed his own ego. But whenever she'd leave the room, we would beg for one of his tales. Tell us about Dr. Moreau, we yelled one evening when the washing machine had broken down and Mother had gone off to the laundromat. Tell us about the island of Dr. Moreau. Grandfather often claimed he'd had a job working for Dr. Moreau and that the women on the island were unlike any he'd ever seen. Grandfather sighed and agreed to tell the story, if in exchange we each rubbed one of his feet, at which point he proclaimed that all stories needed telling eventually, and this one was a doozy. I was a slim, handsome devil back then, Grandfather said, but it wasn't just enough for me to seduce women. I wanted love, true love. The story began, he said, one afternoon in 1945. He was out fishing in the St. Laurent River when a pompous fool in a white cardigan and sailor's cap sped by in a motorboat, causing Grandfather's rickety rowboat to be pitched out to sea. After two terrible days adrift, a large vessel pulled up next to Grandfather's boat and the sailors yelled for him to come on board. Once he got on, Grandfather saw that the ship was filled with animals. It was like Noah's Ark. He had never seen so many kinds of creatures in his life. The zoo in Montreal didn't even have a lion. All it had was a geriatric elephant that peed every time it sneezed. The sailors said they were transporting the animals to the Isle of Dr. Moreau. It had been years since Grandfather had heard a word about André-Philippe Moreau. Moreau had once been considered one of the world's most eminent scientists. At the age of 17, he had famously visited Moscow to present the Tsar with a mechanical monkey he'd built out of clock parts that could diaper a baby. Of course, no sane mother would leave her child with a robotic monkey, so the monkeys were placed in storage in a Romanian hangar where they probably remain to this day. Despite this setback, Dr. Moreau was still considered a young man of unparalleled brilliance. And after claiming in a medical journal that given enough resources, he could cure male pattern baldness, a pharmaceutical company gave Moreau a massive endowment. He then moved to an island in the St. Laurent River where he used the money to begin work on his real project. Moreau called the small island the Isle of Noble and Important and Respectable Betterment of Homo Sapiens and their consorts. Of course, no one could be bothered to say this, so it became simply known as the Isle of Dr. Moreau. Occasionally, you would hear people speak of Moreau, about a new lawsuit brought against him by the pharmaceutical companies, for instance. But more often than not, as he had not been heard from in decades, 
he was usually spoken of as an example of wasted potential. Some people say his downfall all began after he fell in love with a Russian princess, Grandfather informed us knowingly. She was too cold and cultured to love him back, and in his romantic despair, he turned his back on society. When Grandfather first arrived at the island, he was eager to meet Dr. Moreau, and when Grandfather first saw him, the doctor was dressed in a three-piece suit and was reading a book of poetry. He smiled at Grandfather and said, Welcome to this humble little piece of paradise, my child. The island was undoubtedly the loveliest place that Grandfather had ever laid eyes on. There were lush flowers everywhere and monkeys and goats running all around. Moreau was in need of extra workers, and so when he was asked to stay on, Grandfather readily agreed. It was only after weeks of doing menial chores in the laboratory that Grandfather came to understand the true nature of Dr. Moreau's work. Moreau wanted to create a race of humans who could love more freely, a race of people who, unlike the Russian princess, would be willing to give their hearts to one another without fear. He believed that somewhere along the line, the evolution of the human species had taken a turn for the worse and love had become bred out of us. We need to reverse the chain of evolution and get back to our animal roots, the heartbroken Moreau would often say. If there really was a Garden of Eden, then I think Adam and Eve must have been a couple of innocent monkeys in love in a way that we can now only dream of. Moreau believed that by combining the genetic makeup of humans with the right animals, love would no longer have to be a tragic thing, continually questioned and denied until it drove us mad. In his laboratories, he could make love simple, good, and pure, as it should be. Moreau's first step as a means of experimentation was to begin combining DNA from different animals. The workers grandfather met were always talking about those crazy early days. They spoke of the ill-fated union of a hippopotamus and a sloth. The giant hippo would try to hang from a bar in its cage and then collapse on the floor and vomit. In the workers' opinion, the worst combination was cows and bats. Eerily, they flew through the night sky, dripping milk onto the heads of those below. Despite these early failures, after years of mixing animals with animals, Moreau finally felt he was ready to begin his true work, mixing animals with humans. Grandfather was advised by the other workers not to become too close with these animal people who now populated the island, especially the women. But he was young and searching for love. I had needs, Grandfather cried. His dating life on the island began one day while he was out for a stroll and ran into a half-swan girl. Grandfather thought he had never laid eyes on anyone so beautiful in his life. But if I had known that swans mated for life, I never would have started with her, said Grandfather. Licking his hands and smoothing his hair back, he handed her a daisy he'd picked from the side of the water. 
As soon as she saw it, she became hysterically happy, clapped her hands delightedly, and threw her arms around his neck. Grandfather was amazed at how easy it was to win the swan girl's affections. They saw each other every night and couldn't get enough of each other. She would ask him if he thought her neck was too long, which it was. It made her look like she was perpetually peering over taller people's heads at a parade. But Grandfather told her he loved her neck, and to confirm this, he would lavish it with kisses, which, because of its great length, was no mean feat. Although Grandfather found the swan girl endearing, there were aspects of her personality that quite got on his nerves. For instance, she would often point out children on the island and say they looked like what their children were going to look like. And after only having dated for a few weeks, she showed up at his door with her suitcase in one hand and her houseplant in the other, declaring that she was moving in. Grandfather was almost relieved when she met a half-swan man who brought up marriage five minutes into their first encounter. Grandfather realized she didn't really love him anyways. She would have settled for anyone who came along, and that wasn't what he wanted. To love everyone is to love no one, he said. After that, he decided to wait until the right girl came along and not just jump into things. He decided to wait until he met a girl who was less forward, which might explain how he ended up with a girl who was half dear. The dear girl didn't have a wicked bone in her body, but she was so shy that when he took her out with his friends, she wouldn't say a word. She would just sit there looking nervous, whispering that it was time to go soon. He practically had to move in slow motion around her, and when they kissed, he had to keep his finger on her pulse for fear of giving her a heart attack. Grandfather knew that loving someone was a risky thing that took a lot of guts, and the dear girl just didn't seem to have the courage for it. So he decided to break things off. Here brother interjected, agreeing with grandfather for dumping her. I would have done the same, brother cried. There was a girl who followed brother around the schoolyard, but was too nervous to say a word. She just wanted to quietly sit next to him, and it drove my brother crazy. Men. Several weeks after breaking up with the dear girl, grandfather attended an island social dance, and it was there he met a half-lioness. She was so much more laid back compared to the other girls he had dated. She slept about 16 hours a day, and when she was awake, her favorite activity was lying out in the sun. But Grandfather soon began to discover the darker side of dating a lion. Whenever anyone showed any weakness, she said they should be put out of their misery. His friend Paul, who worked in the lab with him, had asthma, and one day while using his inhaler, she slapped it out of his hand and told him that a man didn't need training wheels to breathe. At the time, Grandfather had found the remark rather witty. But several days later, when a blister on his heel forced him to walk with a limp, he found her lack of sympathy hurtful. Why don't you lie down and rest, little baby man, she said, licking her hind molars. And Grandfather limped off as quickly as he could, 
her cruel laughter echoing behind him. Love should make you ten feet tall, he said, if only in the eyes of the one who loves you. Grandfather had really liked the way the lion girl had stretched out her whole body when she yawned, and she did have a sexy voice that sort of purred when she talked, and so he decided he could get all of that, minus the threat of violence and humiliation, from someone who was half cat. And so he asked out the little cat girl he saw drinking a milkshake by herself late one night. Everyone told him not to get mixed up with a nocturnal being, but he ignored them, and soon he discovered that the cat girl could never stay in bed at night, preferring to amble across the way to an island bar called the Sinking Ship, where she would get drunk and make out with the bouncer. She eventually told Grandfather that she needed someone who was also nocturnal, and Grandfather, seeing himself becoming more and more consumed by jealousy, acquiesced. I discovered that small cats can be every inch as hurtful as big cats, he said, because when your heart is vulnerable with love, even a fly with a mind too can break it. After the cat girl, the deer girl, and the swan girl, Grandfather was just about ready to give up on dating altogether. But then one day, he met the monkey girl. On the whole, the island's monkey people seemed a ridiculous lot. They were always up in trees, flinging acorns at the scientists. But the monkey girl was different. She and Grandfather met on the beach, where they sat and talked all night. She made his portrait on the sand out of seashells and stones, and he showed her his imitation of Buster Keaton. And as he did, she laughed. And as she laughed, Grandfather suddenly realized that he needed her to laugh at his jokes for the rest of his life. And so their romance bloomed. She just loved me, Grandfather said. She didn't care that my socks had holes in them or that I was broke. She listened to all my ridiculous plans and could never stand seeing me sad. It was really beautiful, something I never had before. She forgave him for everything. When he wrote her poems filled with spelling mistakes, she didn't care. And he loved how she would look through his hair for knits. He never imagined how intimate that could feel. Grandfather told her tales about human society back in Montreal, and she enjoyed the story so much that she even asked Grandfather to give her a human society name, which he did, Margaret. Wasn't that Grandmother's name? asked Brother, slightly alarmed. Shush, yelled Grandfather. I'm telling a story. Grandfather soon realized that his time on the island was drawing to an end. He asked Margaret to return to Montreal with him as his wife, and Margaret agreed. Before we left the island, I told Dr. Moreau that love isn't something you could make in a laboratory with beakers and burners. It can only spring to life when the right two lovers meet. And in this way, I was smarter than a big genius doctor. You see, in the end, both Dr. Moreau and I were searching for the same thing. 
the secret of love. But I was more successful in my search. God rest your grandmother's soul. She gave me so many good times, that woman. I knew it. Our grandmother was the monkey girl, brother exclaimed. Our grandmother was so not part monkey, I asserted. She barely got off the couch. Remember once the remote control fell from the arm of the sofa, and so she just left the television on all night? Monkeys get old too, you know, Grandfather said wistfully. And look at the two of you. Do you think it's normal to tear around the house all day like lunatics? Obviously part monkey. Then Brother started acting like a chimpanzee, jumping from the couch to the Chesterfield. It was then that Mother walked in and yelled at us to get to bed. Oh, leave them alone, Grandfather told her. They can't help it. Throw them some bananas or let them sleep out in the trees. It's cruel to keep those little animals inside. Send them back to the wild, he cried, as we climbed into bed and prepared ourselves for the jungles of our dreams. Howard? Yeah, can, can, you, can you hear me all right? Yeah, Johnny, Gregor? checking in with Johnny. You're there? Yeah, can, you hear, can you hear me too? Yes, I hear you, Howard. Just no, checking on hear me too? Yeah, can you hear me, Gregor? Yeah. That's great. I'm so happy this finally all came together. We were trying to plan this for so long, and now we're all here together. We're going to have this great evening. We're not even together. We're, 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 we're talking on it. We're, we're having a conference call. We don't need to travel on airplanes and cars and burn non-renewable resources. We can take a vacation together apart. It's very civilized and sophisticated. I mean, Gregor's out in L.A. You're doing this radio show out where you're in the prairies. I'm here in Montreal. As far as I'm concerned, this is the best camping trip we ever went on together. We get to have a nice time, mm -hmm. and we don't have the disgusting experience of being in the same tent, mm -hmm. which is much better. Do you understand? We're in different places. We all get to have a wonderful time, I and I don't have to be with you. Oh, we're still all together. I am cozy as can be, and I have a beautiful view. I have this amazing sunset. It's like Technicolor. You know, I'm in the middle of nowhere. You know, I had to trek for like like tens of miles in in, in pitch black. And and Howard, where are you? I'm uh I'm in uh in the in the woods in Montreal. Let's all look at the moon. The same overcast. Moon. I'm not. Same I can't moon. even see the moon. It looks like it's going to rain soon. Silence for a moment, and just and just feel the connected the, the interconnectedness between the three of us. God. I have a moonlit sky up above. I have the earth beneath me. I just feel so connected. I'm lying here on the ground. I'm one with the earth. Lying on the ground? I'm staying in a nice bed right here. I got beautiful La Perla sheets. What, what bed are you talking about? You know what else I brought? So I didn't have to make a fire. I brought a DVD of a fire. Mm. Well, how are you going to play a DVD? The camper came with a bed and with a DVD player. What? This, it's not really a camper. It's actually a tour bus. It's the same tour bus that Tom Petty used on his last tour. I, I'm really. I, I find this very upsetting. How, how, you're not upset by this, Howard? Why are you so critical, John? He's, well, because he's a he, we're camping. Man. Me and Howard are camping. I'm out in nature. I just happen to be not sleeping with moss in my ears and insects crawling up my pants. Eat their own, Johnny. I didn't know that RVs were that that was camping and that was permissible. Well, there's no rule book. We're not in fourth grade. You can do whatever you want. Look at Howard. Did you have any marshmallows today? I had many. 
Okay. I'm on my third okay. bag. Did you get permission to get your Howard marshmallows? I'll um, do what I want to do. I'm a grown man. That's what I'm talking about. I really don't know why I agree to this. What do you see I'm around cold. you? Give us a sense of what you see around you. I just see trees. I see trees in darkness, and, and, I, and I think I hear rustling. The moss grows on the north side of the trees. Sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Follow water downstream, it always goes downhill. This is like the Blair Witch Project. Mm. Another thing, Johnny, stay away from any rocks because snakes live in the rocks. And well, I'm don't among... turn over any logs because there's all kinds of scorpions and stuff. There's nothing yeah. but rocks and logs here. Mm. How are you eating on this trip? I'm, I'm, st I'm still trying to cook my hot dogs. I can't. Oh, Johnny, you are doomed. You're going to die. Hey, Howard, you got your guitar with you? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go get it. Let me, let me just get this in my mouth. Mm. Mm. I'll be right back. I'll get my guitar. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do it. What's the spirit. matter with you? Why would you tell him to go get his guitar? Because I can see that you're on the verge of death. And, and I that's going to make up. me feel better? No, Have you ever up. heard him play the guitar? Hey, guys. I got my guitar. Let's, let's warm up with a little, little magical tune called Moonshadow, since we're all into the moon. Oh, God. Oh. I'm being followed by a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. Best camping trip ever. Yeah. Leaping and hopping on a I'm, I'm all alone here. I was just about to come in. I was going to come in on hopping. I'm, I'm, I'm freezing out here. La, I'm being followed, followed by a moon, moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. Moon shadow. shadow. Leaping and hopping on a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. And if I ever lose my legs, I won't moon and I won't bed. So cold. You want a little ghost story to get us all warmed up? That'll warm me up, John. Fear, fear gets the, the blood. I don't know if that's such a great idea. Okay, okay. I know you guys can't see, but I have a flashlight under my chin right now. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time. Um, there was an area in the States that was uh, being terrified by some terrible phantom with a hook. Damage was done. Plates were thrown against walls. But this van came into town, this colorful van, four young people and a dog. And they were known worldwide as, as experts in the paranormal, people who could find screaming like a banshee but before he was able to finish his terrible deed they pulled the mask off and he was nothing but the store owner after all Howard this is an episode of Scooby Doo this well it's a ghost story that story isn't scary that story is a made up story about a guy with a hook mm. you want to get scared I'll tell you the truth the truth is always way scarier than some children's story right now I don't know exactly where you're at Johnny but I did read in the papers that there was a guy up there killing people, which is not enough for him. To get his kicks, he's taking some appendage, like the head or arm, to presumably eat it. And the last time he struck, he was somewhere like in Saskatchewan, like in northern Saskatchewan. maniac rip your face off and eat it. All right, all right. Wow, that's true, eh? Before, I was, I was afraid of grizzly bears, and now I'm afraid of grizzly murder. Hey, actually, you know, speaking of axe murders and stuff, I gotta go because CSI's coming on, and I never miss an episode. And, 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 and that's it? You're gonna go watch TV? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to leave you hanging here. I'll leave you with this. I'm being followed by a face murderer. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It's not funny. It's not funny. No, seriously, I gotta go. It's on in one minute. All right, bye. See you later. Thank you. Take it easy, Greg. Hey, if I don't see you, Johnny, it's been really nice knowing you.
Boy, oh boy, do you believe that guy? Yeah. Wasn't it was his idea initially? He was gonna, you know, the big the big shot was gonna take us out, teach us how to camp and and yeah, how to yeah. rough it. In the meantime, yeah. he's Look, watching really TV. Stuffed. It's I've, I've had as much. Uh, as I can, I've, I've eaten so much already. H- Howard. No, oh, I'm stuffed. Thank you. Uh, how much more can I eat? Yeah. Who, oh, who are you talking to? I made a I made cutouts of your face and Gregor's face, and I was just I offered you a snack and you offered Wait, me a snack. H- Howard, who is? Wait, I hear a voice. Who is that? It's your mom. My mother. Your mother. My mother's camping with you? It's a long story. You know, I couldn't get a car, and, and, and I really wanted to be, you know, with you guys on this trip, and I didn't want to miss it. You're in my parents' backyard. But I'm it's that's still not, roughing it. I got that's the, not I got camping. The, that's not roughing it. I don't even have a tent. I'm, I'm in a sleeping bag on on the hard Howard, ground. Howard, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Do you understand? I don't know where I am. I don't know where I am. You, you're in my parents' backyard. But it's dark out here. I, it's how dark. Far am I from the, I, besides the patio light, I can't see anything. I sweet can't. Potatoes. Oh, yes, sweet potato, please. Sweet potatoes. Yes, please. Listen, if it gets too cold, I don't know why you're so upset. Can. Don't be a hero. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm out here too. You know, I'm wearing your childhood pajamas, which I ripped, by the way. My pajamas. The Dukes of Hazards one. From my childhood. Your mother insisted, John. She thought I'd catch cold. Speaking of cold, it's a bit nippy, and I am a bit peckish, and your mom's been calling me in for some delicious roast. Come, oh, coming. Okay, John, I gotta go. All right. Okay, what's your uh, um, right. Oh, you don't have to put it on my favorite plate. Howard, did, Howard, did you hear that through the phone? Oh, I gotta go, John. Howard, I, 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 I'm, I'm hearing wolves. Yeah, I'm wolves. not kidding, and I think yeah. they're getting closer. Yeah, yeah, wolves. Howard. Yes. Would, would you, would you say hi to my mom for me? Oh, I gotta go. I, I don't wanna be rude. Howard, don't. Hello. It's so cold. That's a wolf. That's, that's what a wolf sounds like. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. What is that? Is that footsteps? I'm being followed by a moon shadow. Moon shadow, moon shadow. Leaping and hopping on a moon shadow. Moon shadow, moon shadow. On Wiretap Today, you heard Heather O'Neill reading her short story, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Ms. O'Neill is the author of Lullabies for Little Criminals. You also heard Howard Chakowitz, Gregor Ehrlich, and Dina Goldstein. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein, with Mira Bertwintonic and Carolyn Warren. Production assistance from Crystal Duhame. Reach us to our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap. Hello? 